Welcome to the Hills Church Podcast. We hope that it helps you become a strong and passionate follower of Jesus Christ. For more information, you can head to our website at www.hillschurch.com.au. Enjoy this week's message. Well, it's so good to be here today. Uh, if you're new or visiting our church, I would just want to say uh, and extend a huge warm welcome to you. My name's Evan. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, really excited to get around the Word of God uh, with you today. So, um... Today, 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, verse 10 is where we're going to be. What is happening here is that there is a lady from a city called Shunem. And uh, we're not going to go too much into what's happening in 2 Kings 4. There's a lot happening in the narrative. But there's a little detail that I want to pick out of this story. Now, this woman and her husband, they know that there's a man coming to the city whose name is Elisha. Now, he's a man of God. He's a prophet. He's well-known and revered in the area, and the lady, the Shunammite woman, instructs her husband to create a space for this man of God. We're going to pick it up here. Excuse me, in my throat, gone, good. 2 Kings 4.10, it says, uh, let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there. Could I grab that bottle of water? Sorry, Pastor Nicholas, thank you. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Then he can stay there. You know what? I'm just going to stop talking until I get this. Ah, beautiful. That's better. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. Now, on the surface, we would read this scripture and just kind of run over it. These are very household items. They're very uh, simple, mundane, kind of basic kind of things. And we can skim over this and just go, cool, let's move on to verse 11. But what I would like to do is actually pause and take a moment to look at these things. Because although these are regular, household, simple, boring items, in the scriptures, all of these items carry huge symbolic significance. They all carry massive significance. And what I want to do today is looking at how this Shunammite woman and her husband prepared a room for the man of God. What can we learn about these items that can help us prepare a room and prepare a space for Christ in our life? If you're taking notes today, I'm calling this message, A Room for a King. A Room for a King. What we're going to do today is go on a bit of a scavenger hunt. Bit of a scavenger hunt today in church. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a bit of fun. So we're going to see if we can find these items anywhere else in Scripture and what can they teach us about making room for Christ in our life. So first, let's start with the table. Now, in Hebrew, the word for table here is shulchan. Now, I practiced that constricted K just for you guys today. I was in my office practicing it. Shulchan. It's a, in this sense, it is a space of honor. It's a table that would, uh, a king would sit on. It's not your kind of regular household table. This table that has been set aside for Elisha is a nice table. It's really well done. It is uh, one of prominence. It's one where a person of honor would kind of sit. The first time we see the Shulchan in the scriptures is in the book of Exodus. What is happening here is that the nation of Israel are in the wilderness. They are wandering and they have pretty much everything. I mean, they've got food. They've got a a relative sense of direction. They have a moral code. They've got each other. They've got a lot of stuff going for them, even though they're in the wilderness. But the one thing that they do not have with them is the presence of God. And it's the one thing that they didn't have. And it's the one thing that they needed more than anything else that they had. Each of us has a longing to be home. Israel needed the presence of God more than anything 
else. In Psalm 42, it says, As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with him? And so what God instructed them to do was to create something in the wilderness called tabernacle. Now, it was a place where the presence of God would reside. And in the tabernacle, there was like a basin. There was the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was there. Man, we could spend weeks just talking about tabernacle. We're not going to do that today. But in the tabernacle was a table. And here, this is where the presence of God would be. It was called the Shulchan. It was the table of presence, the bread uh, that would be there. There's all this symbolism that's happening there. But the main thing is that it was a place where God would reside. It was a place where they could go to be in his presence. See, dining with someone in the ancient Near East was a sign of fellowship and priests. So the priests who were eating of the bread in the presence of God's house signified that the Lord was present and at peace with his people. For them, God was moving into their neighborhood. He didn't just invite them home. He brought home to them. He's the God who is with us. Far before in the scriptures that we see the person of Jesus Christ, the Emmanuel, um, be in flesh and walk with us, we see the heart of God to want to be with his people. And we have to ask the question, well, that sounds awesome. Where is this tabernacle? Where is this table? Well, it's not, it doesn't exist anymore. Because what was there at that time was but a shadow of what we get to experience today through the blood, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that lives with us. What those people experience at Tabernacle, they would give anything to be in our shoes, to have the presence of God with us all the time. This is what it says in John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. That word dwelling there is the same word in the Scriptures that's used to describe the presence of God at Tabernacle. And so if you were in the ancient world picking up the letter of uh, the Gospel of John and you saw this, you would read, and the Word became flesh and He tabernacled with us. God became flesh and walked with us. It is one of the most outlandish claims that we make as Christians that the Creator of the universe who was outside space and time would invade our space and come near to us. Our God is so, so close. And through him, through the person of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can draw into God's presence. We can have confidence to sit in the presence of God, to sit at the table of the Lord. Where was once what our, was our greatest need can now be our greatest joy. When we're in a trying time, when we're tired and weary, and weak, our God doesn't say work, strive, earn. He says, come to me because I have come to you. May we never stop making this space for God in our life by not taking a seat at the table, by not enjoying his presence, the presence of God that refreshes our soul, that gives our life vibrancy and color. So what we see at the table, that we have a space to connect with him, a space to commune, a space to accept the invitation and come and dine with the Lord. We can do it, yeah, in, in private like Jesus did and go and retreat. We're going to talk about that in a sec and spend time alone with God. But also not just that, just all the time. 
that we have an open line to the king of the universe in your day, in your, in your work day. We're gonna, these are symbols, but we're going to bring them down and be really practical today. At work, talk with God. In, in your homes, talk with God. In your driving your car, talk and commune with God. One of the things I've learned from, from Pastor Nicholas is I, I don't know if I've known him a day where he hasn't just broken out in prayer. <laughs> just be, be praying. And I'll be sitting in the next office and I'll hear him break out in prayer. I'm thinking, oh no, what have I done? Let's go for it. <laughs> but no, and he's just talking to Jesus. And that's what we're invited and encouraged to do here at the table. That we would cultivate a space to connect with God. The next thing is a lamp. Now, many of the times we encounter images of the lamp in the Bible, they are used as symbols or metaphors. Now, this lamp that we're going to see, um, the word, the Hebrew word is menorah, um, but it's not this one that was in the house. It's not uh, the ancient Jewish ritualistic, you know, with the stick and the, the symbol of Judaism. That's not what this lamp is. This is what it looks like. This is a regular household lamp. Um, and what would happen is there was a little pinch here where you would put the wick and the olive oil would be in there, and you would really have to closely maintain this lamp to keep it burning. As you can see, it doesn't actually fit that much oil. You can hold it actually in the palm of your hand. Um, it's just, this is regular. These are regularly uh, unearthed in excavations in, uh, in modern-day Israel from that time. Now, we see this uh, quite commonly in the Bible. We see it in um, Proverbs 31, when the proverb is talking about a woman who is diligent, the Proverbs 31 woman, and she is diligent and, and really attentive over that lamp to keep it burning. We see it, Jesus talk about a parable of 10 virgins who uh, brought the oil, some of them brought enough, some of them didn't bring enough, and we can see that, and it's about being attentive, about being ready for Christ. We also see it in uh, Luke chapter 12, the servants are awaiting their master to come home, and uh, it says to be dressed and ready for service and keep your uh, lamps burning. This symbol is really, to, to de it denotes kind of attentiveness, a key focus, a real deliberate um, Think to, to kind of protect it and keep it going and keep it flowing and keep it alive and keep it burning and keep it hot. We're encouraged to have a deliberate focus on keeping the lamp burning. So we need to have a space in our life that we are attentive to Christ. Being attentive to the flame that is our faith. Being attentive to the light who is Christ, the light of the world. A space where our affections for him are stirred. That we would stay on fire for Jesus. I know that's a very youthy term, but we would stay on fire for Jesus because over time, this can wane. If we're not protective of that flame, if we're not fueling it with the right things, if we're not stirring our affections for Christ, we can get very good at this. We can get very good at this and not be passionately in love with Christ. Where do we see this in the Bible? We see it in a place called Ephesus. And they were very good at this. They could sit there and they could listen to, to teaching and say, oh, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. And that's all well and good. They were a mature church. But in Revelation chapter 2, the Lord Jesus says to them, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Sign me up for that church. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had 
at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you did not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this uh, in favor. You hate the practice of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So, stirring our affections for Christ. You see, I may never have walked the ruins of that city in Ephesus may never have sat in front of the Celsus Library or the Temple of Artemis or watched an ancient Greek tragedy in the amphitheater, but I've been to Ephesus. And if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, if you think about it, in your soul, in the depths of who you are, you would know that there has been seasons in your life where you've been to Ephesus too where the flame has started to wane, where the temperature has just started to dwindle, where the oil is starting to run out. So what do you do, is the question. Or what do they do? Acts chapter 19. Let's have it up on the screen. When they became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, and the way, in this way the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So what did the church in Ephesus do at the start? The things that took away their affections for Christ? They removed them. And they put things into their life which did stir their affections for Christ. See, what takes away your affection for Jesus? For me, too much TV. I I love TV. Me and my wife will just zone out, watch TV, whatever. But for me, if I'm not careful, it can take away my affection for Christ. When I'm tired and I don't have enough rest, for me, that can take away my affection for Christ. I don't know what it is in your world. What are the things that stir your affections for Jesus? I know for me, it's time with my family. When I spend time with my son and I look at him and my wife, I'm filled with gratitude towards Jesus and my affections for Christ are stirred. For me, it's, this, is, this is probably the weirdest thing that I do. But I like to read old sermons from dead preachers. <laughs> so some, some, of the, some of the greats, right? And so this is what I do on my day off. You do what you like to do, all right? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. But I love to read some of the words of guides like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and see some of the things that the Holy Spirit was doing in their life and in their churches and in their nations because I'm stirred to think God again. Holy Spirit again. You are the same God who did that then and you are the same God who can do that now. It stirs my affections for Jesus when I see some of the amazing things that the church has accomplished over the past. For me, I like to go to the beach by myself and swim by myself. I also have a phobia of sharks, so this also doesn't go hand in hand. Um, but, and even when I, I go with my family to the beach, they'll, they'll often find me 50, 100 metres down the shoreline by myself just paddling in the water. And I just love it. As an introvert, being in creation, just being in still water, I can think about Christ for me. That stirs my affection for him. Spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, being here with you all stirs my affection for Jesus. 
worshiping God together, hearing the word of God by all of our pastors and leaders, being led in the praises of our God by these incredible people, seeing all of you and, and, and hearing what God is doing in your life and the challenges and the testimonies and things that we're believing for. It stirs my affection for Jesus. And so what helps you keep the flame burning? What helps you pour the oil in? What helps you protect that thing? That will create space in our life to stir our affections for Christ and be constantly doing that temperature check. That is the lamp. The next one is the chair. Now, I'm going to get this wrong. Kisse. Helen, you'll be able to help me with that one later. But it's a throne. Uh, it's a, a seat of honor. This is not just a normal, uh, like the table. This is not just an average stool that they've thrown in there. This is a, a place where someone who was highly venerated would sit. Uh, it's a really cool image here. It's a throne uh, of authority, of power. In the Bible, there are nearly 200 usages of this word throne. And of course, when we think about throne, making space for Christ, we can think about so many things, so many directions that we could go around the Bible. I mean, we can think about him as, as the king and we can think about him as our judge and we'll all go before the judgment seat of Christ one day. We can think about all of these kind of things with directions and I was thinking, which direction should I take? But in thinking about the heart of God and I believe what he wants for us in our communion and our relationship with him on this earth, I couldn't go past this scripture in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, now that we're presented with the concept of Jesus occupying the seat of honor, we'll get to the text in a sec. I don't think that we are presented with the nature, the heart, and the character of this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who we're now enthroned, more so than this scripture here. And it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, who hold us firm, uh, let us hold firmly the faith we profess, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The throne in our life is a place to come for help a place to come for the grace of God, a place to believe for his power to work in our life, a place to receive that which he has for us. Our God is not someone as a king and as a high priest who is distant, as we've already said. His rule and his reign is not like our monarch, who is fine, I'm not going to go into that, she's fine. She's on the other side of the world. Our monarch is here with us. Our monarch is close. So when we find ourselves unsettled by doubt, when we're discouraged or despondent, rather than turning to other people or things that will ultimately leave us lacking, wherever we go, where we can turn, we can see where we can find our help. The answer is to go right here to approach the throne of grace. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. We need to have a place where we can approach God for help. We in the depths of our soul and the privacy of our homes or wherever we might are uh, to just cry out to God, God, I need your grace, I need your power, I need your help right now. A space to come for help in our troubles and in our mistakes. I remember as a kid, we were playing uh, street cricket 
all the kids in the, in the street were playing. It was a big deal. We had about 20 kids playing. It was my turn to bat. Very excited. Waited about two hours to bat, and I wasn't going to stuff this up. I was going to make the most of this opportunity. And so uh, the ball comes in. First ball. I take a dance down the wicket. Play the best on drive of my life. Right through my neighbor's front window. And I was sitting there thinking, oh no, what have I done? Every other kid in the street has scattered. Even the kid who lives there. So he's like scared for my sake. He's like, I don't want to be here when this goes down. Uh, And I'm standing there in the middle of the street holding this cricket bat by myself thinking I've just smashed this window. And now I have to approach this person who is the authority in this house. How's he going to treat me? Is he going to be good? Is he going to be merciful? Is he going to be angry? Is he going to knock me over the head? These are all things that run through your head. And I approached him. I remember that feeling of fear. In my mistake and in my time of help, I remember feeling scared. Turns out he was okay. I just told him, you know, talk to my grandfather. He'll sort you out. And my my grandfather fixed up the window and everything. um, How often in our time of need or our time of help or when we've made a mistake, that that sense when we come to another human, no matter how much we love them, no matter how good we are, that sense of not knowing how it's going to go, how they're going to take it, how they're going to respond to me. But when we go to our Heavenly Father, we didn't need to worry about that because we see the posture of his heart towards us in these few verses. He says, come boldly to my throne because I have mercy for you and I have grace to help you. The chair, the throne, the place to come for help, for mercy, and for strength. And the last one, as we wrap up, is the bed. Now, the bed has multiple usages in the scripture. A place of physical intimacy between a husband and a wife. It would be a place of safety, a place where your home would be. Some of the writers in the Bible say, where I make my bed, uh, that's kind of where my home will be. Uh, It would be a place where people were sick and people would bring people uh, stretched to Christ on beds and stretches and stuff. So there's all these symbolism that we can see with the bed. But what we can see here is that uh, the bed is also a place where serious reflection occurs. Psalm chapter 4 verse 4 says, Tremble, do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. And Psalm 63 verse 6 says, I remember you on my bed and I meditate on you in the night watches. Now, I'm going to say don't be like me and sit up all night with your head turning over. Okay? What I'm suggesting to you is that we need to cultivate and create a space in our life for meaningful, deep reflection and meditation on the Word of God, on the things of God, and on the character of God. I want to hone in on this word, meditate, just before we finish up. Now, we are built to meditate, designed to meditate. Now, unfortunately, we get all these different connotations and thoughts about this concept of meditation, which is a very biblical concept because Eastern mysticism and New Age spiritualism have taken it and twisted it into being something that was never really designed to be. But our God has designed this space for you to connect with him to reflect to meditate on his words to build you to encourage you to strengthen you to sharpen you the word meditate means to mutter it means to mutter Uh, and whether you do it audibly or whether you do it um, internally 
It means to really reflect and ponder on the words of God. And when we do that, when we create that space for Him, the Holy Spirit meets us right there. And He lights up Scripture and He teaches us about the Father and He teaches us about ourselves. This space, it's not a a passive experience. It's actively engaging our mind and soul. Meditating on the Word of God is meditating on God Himself. Don Whitney defines it as this. He says, deep thinking on the truths The spiritual realities revealed in Scripture for the purposes of understanding, application, and prayer. So the last thing we're going to make space for in our room for a king is a space for deep reflection. That you would go home and in your private personal world, open up the Bible, whether it be a hard copy or on your phone or have it read to you. Have something there to write on that you would think about and and linger and dwell over the scriptures and allow the Holy Spirit to allow them to wash over you and teach you and guide you. Write out what we see. What is happening in the text here? What What can I observe? How can I apply this to my life? And prayerfully move through the scriptures. I know I'm being very practical today. Is that okay? William Bridge says this, begin with reading or hearing. Go on with meditation and end in prayer. And I pray that, and I I know that as we do, you'll be strengthened, encouraged in this space where we have such short attentions. I mean, we live in this attention economy, right? Uh, I I love the game of Candy Crush. Any other Candy Crushes with me? No, I'm on my own. Thanks, beautiful. I love the game of Candy Crush. No, I love it. So satisfying. But I know if I'm on my phone or if I'm sitting there, it won't be long before I'll be reaching for my phone and wanting to play Candy Crush again. That's just how, how it goes. And they know this because they designed the game to let you win for a bit and then like they get your attention and they'll let you lose for long enough and then they'll let you win to get you back in. I, I know them. But that we would have our attention fixed on Christ. Removing distraction, removing the things that take us away from him and create space for meaningful and deep reflection. So let's wrap up. Let's uh, have it up on the screen just where we've been today. So in making room for a king, that we would have a space to connect with God, that we'd have a space where our affections for Christ are stirred, that we'd have a space to come for help, and that we would have a space for deep reflection. And in doing so, that we go from strength to strength, from grace to strength, from grace to grace, and intimacy and relationship with our God. Amen. Well, Father, thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've come close to us, and we can only create space for you because you've invaded our space first. We thank you that you were so near. We thank you that you want to connect with us. We thank you that you want our faith to be stirred. We thank you that you want to to help us and we thank you that you want us to have a space of of deep reflection. So Father, we pray that the words that we share today would change us, would transform us, would help us in our day-to-day walk. Lord, I thank you for this church, for our church family, that you continue to strengthen us, guide us. We thank you for your hand and power and purpose that is on this church and community of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our senior pastor, Nicholas, up.